0: I'm Pastor Rick Stevens and here we are for the second week and I'm so glad you could join us again or if you're joining us for the very first time welcome we're glad you made the effort to be a part of this Faith is is a program where we talk about the Bible. We believe the Bible is trustworthy and true and we believe God wants to help us understand the Bible. So many people think the Bible is a book of mystery and we think that it's a book that God gave us so that we could understand he didn't write it to people that were specialists in biblical interpretation, he wrote it to people like us. And so we're going to make every effort to understand the scriptures that that God has given us. Now, now today on the program we want to do that through the lens of uh, wondering why we why we doubt and and why can't we start doubting our doubts? You know, we give our doubts an awful lot of credit in our lives sometimes, and we listen to them, and they seem loud in our heads, but we never wrestle with the idea of why don't we doubt our doubts. And so we're going to get to some talk about the whole business of doubts through the lens of a story from Luke chapter 24. And, and again, we're going to have confidence that God is going to show us the truth from these verses, from this story, We're gonna realize that he's gonna help us with some of the confusing things of our days because sometimes people do get confused and that causes doubt. Sometimes they get discouraged and that causes doubt. Well, we're gonna look at all of those kinds of things and and help ourselves doubt our doubts. We're gonna try to make sometimes these complicated ideas simple. We're gonna cooperate with the grace that God gives us and we're gonna stretch toward God's high calling. Now we do that with humility and, and a sense of, of of our own dependency on god helping us and and we really believe that god helps us understand and and we also believe that we're not so arrogant that we understand everything about god uh, we believe that um, he's a lot bigger than we are a lot greater than we are and our attempts to understand him are are what they are but at the same time god wants us to know him and so while we stretch toward that ideal, we know that, that um, it's only by grace that we get there. And, and we also agree with Mark Twain. I maybe will say this often. You may get tired of hearing it. But Mark Twain reminded us that, it's, that, that it ain't the parts of the Bible that I can't understand that bother me. It's the parts that I do understand. Well, Mark Twain had it right, and we need to pay attention to the parts that we do understand, and that's what we're going to try to do today as we wrestle with this story from Luke chapter 24. Before we get into this, I want to give a special thanks to my church. As I said, I'm Pastor Rick Stevens. I'm the pastor at Diplomat Wesleyan Church in Cape Coral, Florida. And it's because of the generosity of my church and the support of them that we're able to do this program. And I just want to thank them and let all of them know and let all of you know that they're, they're a terrific group of people. And I'm really pleased that they, they were willing to, to stretch with me and to do this great adventure. And I'm thankful that you're here. You know, they encouraged me to do this. And, and we don't do it for our benefit. We do it for yours. So I really hope that what we do here every week is beneficial to you. I really hope it helps you understand what God is saying to us from the Bible for times such as these. And and that's our whole focus, is to be a benefit to you. So I hope that it is, and I hope we'll, we'll be able to share this journey for a while and uh, dis- discover some things together. We always learn more when we work together and discover together, and that's the idea. That's what we're trying to do here. Now we're picking up our our conversation with the Bible, you might say, by focusing on the events that took place after the resurrection of Jesus. We celebrated Easter a couple of weeks ago, and now as the story unfolds from the Bible, we're watching what happens in the life of Jesus' followers and in the life of Jesus during those days after the resurrection. And so we're picking it up in Luke chapter 24, with, a, with an incident that's a few verses long, quite similar actually to the verses we looked at last week and the story we looked at last week, and told from a little different viewpoint and designed to help us think about some things in different ways and to give us another picture of just what it is that Jesus wants to tell us and what we need to learn from his post-resurrection appearance. So in Luke chapter 24, I want to read the verses we're going to talk about today, starting with verse 36. If you have a Bible nearby, I would encourage you to follow along. I'm going to read from the New International Version. There are a lot of good English translations. Uh, Maybe this is a good time to to remind everybody that, you know, we have a a, a wealth of good English translations people sometimes worry about, will will they go wrong by a certain English translation? Is this one better than this one, or is this one better than that one? Well, there are no bad ones that I'm aware of. Now, I'm not saying there aren't any bad ones. I'm saying the ones that I'm aware of that we use at our church and that I encourage people to use are all good translations. They all keep the sacred story straight. If you struggle with what English translation to use, I usually say to people, uh, find a good English translation that you understand and that you will read. And and if we won't read it, and if we don't understand it, it's not going to do us much good. So, Find one that you can understand that you'll actually read and use. And and by the way, maybe nobody has has mentioned this to you, but if you struggle with reading and it's just not your favorite way of, of getting things from the Bible, there are a lot of good audio Bibles out there. Find one that's a recorded version and listen to that. The people in New Testament times, that's how they access the Word of God, is because it was read to them or in some cases kind of acted out to them so because they didn't have a bible to read so they had to listen to somebody else tell the story so if you prefer listening uh, don't don't be intimidated by by all of us who say read the bible that counts too the important thing is to let the bible be part of you so anyway we're in luke chapter 24 verse 36 and i want to read that for us so we can get a sense of where where we're starting and what we're going to be talking about While they were still talking about this, and the they here is Jesus' disciples, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled, and why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I, myself. Touch me and see." the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power, from on high. And I stopped reading with verse 49. So, this is a rather familiar story. It's not really too unusual. We're aware of it. And as I said, it's similar to the story we read last week. It may be the same event told differently. I don't know that we can prove that or that we know that for sure, but there are a few differences here. And so, we want to talk about what's going on here, and especially through the lens of the question Jesus asks his disciples. He asked a pretty pointed question, why do doubts arise in your minds? And we want to think about why do doubts arise in our minds? Because if we can understand the why they arise, we can push back against them, and we can build confidence in our lives so that we can understand who we are and what we believe and why we believe it. So let's start in. Jesus greets the disciples that are there assembled, and he stands among them and says, peace be with you. Again, that's a standard greeting. That wouldn't have been unusual in those days. It was the way they would greet one another, and it included a blessing or favor from God. And they were startled and frightened. I don't think that's too surprising. Uh, They thought they saw a ghost. (laughs) I guess you might be a little concerned if you had been there on what we call Good Friday and realized that Jesus died. If you had been there and realized that he was entombed after he died, and now all of a sudden, here he is. You'd be a little concerned. I'd be a little concerned. And, and so they were kind of concerned. What's going on? Is this a spiritual being? Uh, is this some kind of visible supernatural being that's not material? All of those things might have been going through their minds, and they were rightfully startled. Well, Jesus addresses that, asking them why they're troubled why they have doubts, um, encouraging them to see the evidence that it really was him by taking a look at him, by, by touching him. And he reminded them that uh, a ghost doesn't have flesh and bones. And here he was right there in the flesh. And so he wanted them to understand, based on the evidence that they could see for themselves, that it was him. Well, they still had trouble processing that. And we realized that about verse 40, they, they were still Having a mixture of joy and amazement. I just don't think they quite could get their minds around what's going on here. And so Jesus wrestled with that. And, and helpfully enough, he meets them where they are and continues to help them come to grips with the reality that is him. And so he asked for some food. They give them uh, what's to say here? It's an interesting diet that they must have had. They gave him broiled fish. And he took it and ate it and helped them realize that. He was a real person. It wasn't some imaginary vision. It wasn't some supernatural vision. It was Jesus, and He was really there. Uh, I was thinking about this, and some of you think I'm crazy, but lots of people know that already, so it's not a surprise to them. But I was thinking, isn't this maybe the original Ghostbusters? I mean, they thought Jesus was a ghost, and He's saying, no, I'm not. I'm for real. And of course, that's the that's the message we want everybody to understand, that Jesus really is for real. And, and we need to come to grips with the reality of what that means for us and our lives. Now, it's also very interesting that, that here Jesus and presents himself to his disciples, and he's real. And, and when you think about that, of all the ways Jesus could have presented himself, this is an interesting way that he does it, with his followers and encouraging them and helping them And it seems that the resurrection of Jesus was not primarily intended to prove God's power. Now, it does prove God's power. Make no mistake about that. But I I was reading about this, and I thought this was very insightful by one author. And he said, if this had been about God showing his power, or as we might say in our vernacular, God showing off, then Jesus would have appeared to the Sanhedrin and to Pilate and in all of his resurrected glory and and challenged them, would you like a rematch? We'll see who wins this time. Well, he didn't do that because it wasn't primarily about God showing his power. It also wasn't simply a resuscitation. It wasn't simply that Jesus was once dead and now he's alive. It's true he was dead and now he is alive, but there's more to that. And we can tell from the context of the scriptures, and this this is a little fascinating and a little mysterious to us, but Jesus was decidedly different, even though he was still himself. As, as the author put it, there was both a continuous and discontinuous relationship with his earthly body. Something had changed, but much was the same. And so it's, it's a fascinating look at what God is up to. And and it's a fascinating glimpse of of what awaits the followers of Jesus one day on that great resurrection morning that we all look forward to. So here we have Jesus presenting himself, showing himself to his disciples. And in verse 44, uh, I wanted to call this, and I thought maybe I shouldn't, but I guess I will. I wanted to call this the I told you so verse. You know, none of us like an I told you so uh, person, because uh, a lot of times people will tell us something, and we're a little skeptical, and then later when it turns out that they were right, they come back and remind us that they had it right. Well, Jesus wasn't being ornery like we might be, but he was being pretty blunt when he said to his disciples in verse 44, uh, When I was still with you, I told this was, you this was going to happen, and so you shouldn't be surprised is kind of the implication here. He goes on to say that everything had to be fulfilled in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. And really, when he says that, that's a summary of the writings of the scriptures that, that they had to work with. And, and so in, in a big picture sense, he's reminding them that all that they knew from the scriptures was pointing to him and fulfilled by him, because that was the language of fulfillment, referring to the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. And so they, he wanted to help them put it all in all together and connect the dots so to speak. Sometimes we have trouble connecting the dots in the Bible. We don't kind of understand why this is here and this is over here or we don't really understand how they they come together and make sense of the whole story. And one of the things we want to always do is keep the sacred story straight. And so sometimes when we connect these dots, it helps us make sense of that. And so he was helping them make sense of the law and the prophets and the Psalms by saying they all pointed to him coming and his arrival and his death and his resurrection. And that's how they got to the point where they were on this great insightful day. So he continues to talk to them. And, he, and it says in verse 45 that, uh, this now this is a fascinating phrase that, that we should not miss. And I'd encourage you to think about this he said to them in verse 45, or the scriptures say, he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. You see, that's the approach we take when we come to the Bible. We come to the Bible with a sense that God gave them to us to understand. Now, that, again, as I've said, and I, and I want to always remind us, that doesn't mean we arrogantly believe we get everything that's in the Bible, and we've got it all figured out and lined up. That's not it. not even close. But what it means is that God is going to help us understand what we need to understand so that we can live the lives that he intends for us to live. So here in verse 45, it's it says that Jesus opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. Now, that's an interesting concept. John Wesley called this the illumination of of God's spirit, that, that the spirit of God gave people insights. And that's, that's a good and, and valid way to think about that. It's also interesting that, Earlier in chapter 24, we have what we sometimes refer to as the Emmaus Road experience, and in that particular interaction with Jesus and the people that he met on that road and walked with, they had their eyes opened as well. It's also consistent with other things we see in the Bible and even uh, what you might call a prayer from Psalm 119, where the psalmist wrote, Open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law." So the idea is that that God can and will open our under eyes, open the eyes of our understanding, so that we can grasp the Scriptures. You know, the whole concept of opened is like in the story of Jesus when he healed someone and and gave sight to the blind people. He opened their eyes, or if someone couldn't hear, he opened their ears. So the idea is that he made it possible for them to see and to hear, to perceive. Uh, we might even think of it, and it's a good description of it. He made people open-minded by opening their minds so they could understand the Scriptures. So, so it's a common concept. It's used three times in Luke chapter 24, twice in reference to the Emmaus Road experience that, that I just mentioned, and, and then once here in verse 45. It's really a helpful way to think about that. Uh, the other thing we ought to think about is that, that the New Testament uses the word minds in a way that that more typically corresponds to the way we use the word hearts. So it's dealing with their thoughts, their feelings, their understandings uh, in a a more uh, broad sense than what we might think of with just our minds and our thoughts. So it really encounters people in a a really concrete and definite way, uh, comprehensive way we might say. And, and the idea, and I, and I really like this, that he, he helped them have open minds. You know, we want to avoid what, what I've heard some people say. Uh, I've heard people describe this, that, that they have a mind like concrete. It's all mixed up and hardened into place. No, we don't want to be that way. We want to have open minds, open hearts, so that we can understand what God wants to say to us. And, and it's especially important because this, this word minds and hearts kind of fits together so that we understand it better, we need to make sure that we, we make sure we don't harden our hearts. Uh, please, don't harden your heart. It's people that, that harden their hearts that concern me most. Uh, it's real hard to, to help people with hard hearts. Uh, they tend to double down on their perspective, dig in their heels, and, and sometimes even refuse to consider what God is desperately trying to tell them. And, and we don't want to harden our hearts to God. Uh, it's really worrisome because at the root of, of someone who hardens their heart to God is pride. And please don't let pride keep you away from God. Don't let pride keep you out of God's kingdom. You know, the smartest thing we ever do is realize when we make a mistake and correct it, uh, you know, we men, we're well known that we don't check maps much. Uh, I guess with these GPS things and the maps on our phones, we we do it a little bit more. But, um, you know, we're sure we know where we're going, we, if, if, even if we don't need or have a map. But the smartest thing we do when we realize that we didn't know exactly where we were going is to change course and get on the right course. And that's what I'm talking about here. The smartest thing we ever do is is when we realize a mistake is to correct it. So don't harden your heart to what God has to say. Uh, It's humbling to to keep our hearts open to that because it's not the the most pleasant thing to realize that we've made a mistake and that we need to to correct it, especially if we've lived a long time and doubled down on, on what we believe. But remember, the Bible says God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. And that's what I want for you. I want favor for you because you are humble and come at the Bible with an open heart and a willingness to hear what God has to say so that you can respond in his direction. The other thing that I think is important when we think about this idea of opening our minds is to remember that in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, we read these really challenging words uh, from the apostle we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of god and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to christ so see we need to we need to have open minds and hearts so that we can stand up to the arguments the pretensions that try to keep us from god and we need to capture our thoughts and our keep our minds straight and keep them obedient to Christ. That's the important point here. So we continue down through here, and, and in verse 45, we have a summary of the good news of the gospel that Messiah came, that he suffered, that he rose from the dead, and that there is now forgiveness of sins by repentance And that here Jesus is saying to his followers, you are witnesses of these things. You are privileged to see them and to know about them. These are really some interesting key points in here. This idea that Jesus had to suffer and die, that he would rise from the dead, that it was that repentance is now available for forgiveness of sins. And uh, that that's all good news. And that really points to the good news of the gospel, that there is a new king in town and we can trust him. Um, another source that I looked at focused on three key points of this, and I think they're, they're good too. And there are several ways to look at this, but another way to think about it is that, that the, the key points of Jesus suffering, Jesus rising from the dead, and Jesus being preached everywhere. Uh, very insightful, important. It also points out the continuity between Jesus' ministry and the scriptures and the disciples' mission. You know, sometimes we, th- we th- keep things in their own silo, and we sometimes come to the point that we think that, well, when Jesus came, everything changed, and so uh, all of the stuff that went before, all of what we call the Old Testament really isn't so important right now because Jesus changed everything. Well, certainly in a real sense, Jesus changed things. There's no doubt about that. But Jesus didn't talk about him changing so much as as he did about how he fulfilled what God started and what we read about the story of God's people in the Old Testament. Uh, Jesus didn't make the Old Testament obsolete. Uh, That's a mistake, and and we dare not fall into the trap. It's much better to think of the coming of Jesus as a continuation of the story of God that continues now in our lives, and will continue until the end of time. So, think of, think of the coming of Jesus not as some change that does away with that which happened before, but as a completion of what all of the Old Testament story points to. You see, Jesus disagreed with the teachers of the law in His days on Old Testament interpretation, but He agreed with the teachers of the law in those days on Old Testament authority. The authority remains just because he interpreted different, didn't change the authority. And we need to realize that the authority of the old Testament remains today. That's an important concept for us. So we don't want to, we won't, don't want to lose that. We don't want to let that slip away. And so finally in verse 49, then this section of the, of the scripture ends with the promise of power from on high. And generally we think of that as pointing toward Pentecost. And, and I think that's exactly right. that, the idea of being witnesses was an important concept, but it wasn't a concept in, in the abstract or uh, um, putting the disciples all alone. It was a concept that Jesus said, I want you to be witnesses and I'm going to give you special ability as verse 49 calls it, power from on high to be those witnesses. You see, that's the other mistake that we sometimes make. We, we, we sometimes disconnect the story of Jesus from the Old Testament but we also sometimes disconnect our responsibilities as disciples to continue the, media, the mission of Jesus from the story of Jesus. We sometimes think, well, once we have become followers of Jesus and, and once we're on our way to following Him home forever, home to heaven, that's all there, that really matters. But that's clearly not what Jesus is saying here. When He comes back and says to His disciples, hey, it's me, and you can really be sure that it's me— He also says to his disciples that now it's up to you to tell the story so other people will know, and they'll be able to follow me as well. So that's an important concept of of the story of Jesus, one we shouldn't miss out on. And and it really does concern me that a lot of people, a friend of mine said years ago, he said they just sit on their blessed assurance instead of doing something about the story of Jesus. And I wanna invite you to be a participant in that. That's where the action is. And, and in a real sense, and we'll talk about this some more in, in a little while, in a real sense, getting involved in the mission of, of sharing the truth of the reality of the, of the story of the Bible, that really does help us doubt our doubts. Because when we get involved in that and when we start working toward that end, it reinforces in us, in, in a most remarkable way, the reality and the truth of the resurrection of Jesus, the reality and the truth of the gospel, the good news that that here is a new Messiah, a new king, we can follow and trust him. And so we want to do that. Now, going forward, we're going to look at a few ideas that that will come out of this idea. And one of them I want to start on now before we take a break in just a moment with this idea of believe. This has been one of the fascinating discoveries I've made in recent years that so often that that we wrestle with, what does this idea of belief? So let's begin thinking about this, and then you can think about it a little bit more when we take a break in just a moment. Uh, it's always bothered me when people say, well, sure, I believe, uh, and sometimes it bothers them because they'll say, I believe, but really in a sense, they're wondering if they really are a Christian. And I want people to understand what the Bible means by belief so that they can have confidence that they are followers of Jesus and not hold back. And sometimes I think they're looking for assurance, and sometimes I think we've failed to help them in the the best way possible. So, So when you think about believing, and you might say, well, I believe, I have faith, then let me ask you, how do you define that word believe? Well, most of us start by saying it's true, there's a God, and the story of Jesus is true. That's right. That starts with the truthfulness of that story, and we have to begin there. But the rest of the part of believe as the New Testament uses it has to do with giving allegiance to the person you believe in. So when the New Testament talks about believing in Jesus, when Jesus introduced himself, he said, repent, change your life and believe or give allegiance to Jesus. It's real interesting. It says in his words in verse 46 that repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations. And so this idea of believing has to, has to do with, yes, I believe the story of Jesus is true, and I believe he's real, and I'm going to change my life and give allegiance to Jesus. That's repentance for forgiveness of sins. Some people wonder if their sins are forgiven. Well, how do you know your sins are forgiven? Well, according to verse 46, repentance for the forgiveness of sins is the key to that. In other words, change your life for the forgiveness of sins. That's significant. That's important. And and as you think about this, you really need to ask yourself, what is it that you believe? Do you believe to the extent that you give allegiance to Jesus? Have you really changed your life? Are you changing your life now? And what does that mean? You see, when we come to Jesus, we don't just try out belief or try out the gospel. We actually change our lives because we follow the life and teachings of Jesus as our example. That's what it means. Repent change your life and believe, give allegiance to Jesus. That's how he introduced himself in Mark chapter one. That's something we must come to grips with and understand better because it's how he changes our lives for the better. It's how we have confidence before him. It's how we know we are followers of Jesus. It's how we build strength in our lives. It's all of the things that we want and some of the things we don't seem to find. And we'll be back in a moment to explore that.
1: Well, my fellow Americans, how did you feel watching footage on the news of domestic terrorists looting our stores and burning our cities down? You were probably disgusted and angry as much as I was. It's disturbing what's going on. Well, you'd be shocked to know that your shopping habits are supporting these extremists. Companies like Amazon, Nike, Disney, FedEx, it's an endless list, and they've been supporting these radical groups. Let's stop supporting companies that fund these extremist groups. We can all do our part. Visit ShopToTheRight.com, and you'll find businesses in a nationwide database and companies that are aligned with our American values. Visit ShopToTheRight.com and let's all make a difference.
2: Hello, this is Lieutenant Randy Sutton, the host of Blue Lives Radio, the voice of American law enforcement. I am a 34-year police veteran. I am also the founder and CEO of an organization that stands behind injured and disabled law enforcement officers. It is called The Wounded Blue. Our website is TheWoundedBlue.org. We have produced a film. It is an important film. I urge you to watch it. The film details what happens when a police officer or law enforcement officer is shot or stabbed or beaten or disabled, seriously injured in the line of duty. Most people think they are taken care of medically and financially. The Reality may be quite different. It is called The Wounded Blue. Service, Sacrifice, Betrayed. The film is available on Amazon, iTunes, and the Microsoft Store.
1: It was a vision that gave birth to a unique multimedia platform that would combine classic talk radio, great writers, and memorable podcasts and videos. AmericaOutloud.com is a conservative leader in a field that is predominantly run by far-left progressive globalists. Welcome to the new era in communications, America Out Loud Talk Radio.
0: Well, we're back and welcome again to Faith Is. I'm Pastor Rick Stevens. I'm the pastor at Diplomat Wesleyan Church in Cape Coral, Florida. And I'm so glad to have you join us. What we're doing here is intended to help you and we want to do it for your benefit so i hope it is helpful we're always working to try to make that goal a reality because we want it to be beneficial to the people that listen and we're really glad you took the time to to listen to us and to to consider these ideas from the bible the bible gives us a lot of help for living today and that's what we want to try to provide for each other is to provide some help for living so that we can, can live the lives God intended us to live. And so we can be prepared for that day when he comes and, and makes all things new, that's going to be a big deal. That's a whole different take on resurrection. Uh, we're not really going down that road this time. We're still talking about the, the follow up to Jesus resurrection and the appearances that he made. And we started talking about Luke chapter 24 and the incident when he appeared to his followers and we ended the last segment uh, before we took our break, talking about this idea of believe. And I've been suggesting that that we need to understand what the Bible means by believe, is that it that it means more than simply accept that it's true, but it means give allegiance to Jesus. And so when Jesus offers an invitation to us to follow him, the invitation is to repent or change our lives and believe or give allegiance to Jesus. So sometimes I say, Jesus' invitation is change your life and give allegiance to Jesus, and that's an important concept for us to come to grips with. So, uh, now sometimes people think about these a little bit, and they wonder about things, and they they may have heard different things about what repentance means. Uh, so, so it might be fair for us to 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 think about that just for a moment. Does does the need for repentance or change mean that I'm a terrible person and I have to turn my life around? completely to follow Jesus? Am I so messed up that there's a a huge cataclysmic change required? Well, the answer to that is maybe. Depends how messed up your life is, I guess. Uh, Not to put too fine a point on it, but to be rather blunt, you know, when Jesus talked to the the young man we often call the rich young ruler, he told him that he needed to change big time. He had real problems, and he needed to get it straightened out and to give away his money. Well, that's a pretty big change. I don't know whether Jesus would say that to you or not. I'm not going to say that on his behalf. But you need to ask yourself, what is it that Jesus means by change when it comes to my life? Many times Jesus said to people, your sins are forgiven, go and sin no more. Well, that's certainly what change means. Some people just want to say they believe in Jesus and then go on living in whatever way they want to go on living. And the Bible clearly does not excuse us and allow us to go on in our sin. The point is that we change. We turn away from sin and to God. So that's, that's important for us to come to grips with. And if God is talking to you in whatever terms, you need to listen to that. Um, maybe, and this is entirely possible, uh, if, if you've lived a long time and you've been resisting God's call on your life, Uh, He may still be calling and expect you to get back to where he wanted you when he first started putting that sense in your life. Uh, And I encourage you to follow him. You need to change your life if that's what God is saying to you in that particular area. And I can't be more specific because I don't know what he might say to you. So at the same time, at the same time, there's also this. For some people, this idea of change is, is a next step. What is the thing that God is pressing on that's the next step for you? That's what you need to take is that next step. If Whether it's big or small, take the next step. That's what God is expecting. That's how we grow. And remember, the goal is the beautiful, holy life God created you to live. It's not perfection. It's growth. It's realizing that God is going to help make my life new step by step, step and I need to follow him. Uh, and, and please, as part of all of this— Do not compare your life to someone else. It's very easy to say, well, I'm better than so-and-so. Well, you might be living a better, a more uh, careful life of avoiding sin than someone else. But that's not the point. That's a trap. We need to stretch toward God's high calling on our lives, not shrink to the level of someone else because we just want to be as good as they are or maybe a little bit better. That's a huge trap. Our responsibility is to stretch toward God and to follow in the way He leads us. So let's consider this idea that we started out with, and we've laid the foundation of the story, and we've talked about a lot of important things. And let's talk about this idea of why do doubts arise in our minds? Well, let me give you a few ideas of why I think that happens. First of all, we live in a time when we tend to protect our opinions rather than pursue truth. Let that sink in a little bit. We tend to protect our opinions rather than pursue truth. And we'll hear that and people will say, well, I think the Bible means this, or I think the Bible means that. Well, what we would be better off doing is looking at the Bible and saying, I'm convinced based on the text of the Bible, this is what it says. This is the truth of the Bible. And we work together to find that truth. We should not protect our opinions more than we pursue truth. That becomes a trap. That becomes a point of pride. We don't want to do that. I read about or heard about, I guess I was listening to a recorded uh, uh, example from a book that a university, Oklahoma Wesleyan University, some years ago put out their their statement of who they are and what they did as as an educational institution. And they had four ideas that the president put out there. First one is the primacy of Jesus Christ. Resurrection makes him primary. The second was the priority of Scripture. And we need to keep a high view of Scripture. So they kept the primacy of Jesus, the priority of Scripture. And the third thing they had was the pursuit of truth. They were determined to pursue that which is true, not which is the flavor of the day or the opinion of the week. They were going to pursue truth, and then that was all capped by the practice of wisdom. That's the life change that we talked about. And when you want to connect that to repentance, the practice of wisdom is to change our lives as we continue in allegiance to Jesus. Now, education did used to be about pursuing truth. It's really kind of interesting that they mentioned that. Now, I see it in so many ways that it's much more about protecting people's feelings and opinions. And, and we need to get back to this idea of pursuing truth. That protects us from doubt. It's also interesting to me, and, and I don't know how to, how to prove this. I'm not really feeling obligated to prove it, but, but I know for sure that churches should be, uh, used to be a place where we pursued the truth. It's been a long time ago, but I remember growing up when I was a child, the first church I really remember having much uh, awareness of attending church. I vaguely remember the very first one, but I remember this one very clearly, And, and I had a lot of good experiences there, and I had the distinct sense that the people of that church, the people that I knew, even though I was a kid, I knew most of the adults by name, and they knew me. Uh, we were f- friends, you know, as much as adults and kids are friends, we were. And I had the distinct sense that the people of that church expected the pastor t- to tell them the truth, even if they didn't particularly like it or like hearing it. But they were, they were aware that they needed to know the truth. Today, we don't live in quite that same time. There, there's a, a passage in 2 Timothy chapter 4, for the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. Well, I think we do live in such a time, and we need to remind ourselves that the important thing is to pursue truth. And if we want to deal with our doubts, and if we want to doubt our doubts, we will go a long ways toward that by pursuing that which is true. And we need to focus on that, and we need to pursue that which is true, whether we like it or not, whether it seems to fit into the tenor of our times, whether anybody else agrees with us, we need to focus on the truth. And in our churches, and when you talk to your pastor, you need to say to your pastor, tell us the truth as you understand it from the Bible, even if you don't think I'll like it. That's a real key. I say that sometimes when people come to me and ask a question about something, if they want counsel on something, I'll say, well, I will tell you the truth, even if you don't like it. So you need to be prepared. If you want to talk, we'll talk. And I don't do that with a heavy hand or an attempt to be superior. I just want them to know that if they want my help, we have to focus on that, which is true. And I have not had anybody say they didn't want to focus on that, which is true. So that's a very good thing. So the first thing that I suggest we think about is we've really got to pursue truth rather than protect our opinions. The second thing that occurs to me is why do doubts seem to spring up in our minds so much today and why do, why do they trouble us is that we live in a time when so many people give their feelings more power than their good sense. Now, again, think about that carefully. Why do we, why do we trust our feelings Why do we give them more power in our lives than our good judgment, our good sense? Why do our feelings seem to push us around from time to time? I'm fond of saying, and it wasn't original with me, I learned it years ago, that our feelings make wonderful servants and terrible masters. And and that's really true. We need to be the masters of our feelings, not the servants, because when we let our feelings have power over us, they push us in many times all the wrong directions. Uh, but but we find ourselves in a time when people trust their feelings, as though their feelings are telling them the truth. Uh, clearly, our feelings don't always tell the truth. Uh, you know, somebody might do something that that upsets me, that harms me, that betrays me, that they didn't keep a promise to me, and uh, maybe they do some kind of harm that way. And my feelings, quite frankly, might be toward revenge. You know, I might want to get back at them. You might too, okay? Uh, But I know it's wrong for me to walk up to them and whack them upside the head for what they did. That's just not right. I might feel like I want to, but I know I'm not going to, and I know I shouldn't do that. See, So I don't trust my feelings to be telling me the truth. I trust what I know to be right. And I know that it's not right for me to do that. What's right for me to do is to forgive them and to move on with my life, not take revenge. So we need to think about that. We need to to doubt our doubts by by changing our thoughts and feelings and by not letting them rule us. Uh, Corinthians says, and I quoted this verse earlier, we need to take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. You know, we repent by changing our thoughts and feelings. We repent of our thoughts and feelings by changing them. We take them captive. We make our thoughts and feelings serve us. So don't let your feelings have power over your good sense, over your good judgment. Make sure you become the master of those feelings that are going to push you in all the wrong directions. A third idea I want us to talk about relative to helping us doubt our doubts is that we too often allow social pressure to coerce us. Uh, We just want to fit in. We want to go along. We want to be like everybody else. We want to have some things in common with everybody else. And, and when we fail to build strength into our lives by pursuing truth, as we've talked about, then we tend to let our fragile feelings run our lives. And so social pressure can easily coerce us into doing things that we really don't want to do, to act in ways we really don't want to act, to believe things we really don't want to believe. And, and when we allow ourselves be, to be pushed around that way, then we just kind of are tossed around in what we think and what we believe, what we give allegiance to. And we need to stretch toward maturity. Uh, we need to stretch toward that which is God, God is calling us to. If we don't stretch, we'll shrink from all of that. And Ephesians chapter 4 says that when we shrink from all of that, we'll end up being tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful schemings. You see, we don't want to, to be those kind of people. We don't want to be pushed around, tossed around by social pressure. We want to have maturity and strength and know who we are, whose we are, what we believe, why we believe it, and that we're going to be steadfast and sure in all of that. There's a modern proverb, you you may have heard the modern proverb, if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. I I think that's so insightful, and that's why I'm encouraging us that if we want to deal with our doubts, that we need to push back against these things and believe that which is true. Now, some years ago, there was a, a social scientist who did an experiment that demonstrated that there's real danger that if we're not confident about what we believe, that we'll go along when we shouldn't. And so he wanted to test that and to see how that that might play out. And so for his social psychology experiment, he recruited some people to participate and developed a procedure to help demonstrate whether people would conform to the group or not. And so the idea was that he would give people a series of lines and, and one line was the target line. And so he would ask the question about the line and and was it longer or not Let, let's identify the long line and and i'm cutting it down and simplifying the experiment just to make it easy to understand so he recorded he recruited these 50 students 50 college men and they were supposedly going to take a vision test and so he he would put them in the room and he had one person that was the person who didn't know what was going on and he had seven of the men were helping him and they had agreed in advance what their responses would be now the participant didn't know this but the other people did the the people who were cooperating with the scientists they they knew what was going on and so they had to state aloud on the comparison of the lines uh Which comparison line, A, B, or C, was most like the target line? So there was a line they were comparing them to, and they were supposed to to give the answer to that. Now, the answer was obvious. It wasn't even close, and and that was deliberate because they didn't want it to be close so that there would be some room for doubt. But they would have these seven young men who were helping the experimenter and the one person who wasn't in on the experiment. And so they would go down the line, starting with with the men who were in on it and they would give their response and they would give their response incorrectly. They gave the wrong answer to set up the person who was the, the real participant, we might say, to see what that person would do. And it was remarkable. They measured the responses and about one third of the participants who were placed in that situation went along and conformed with the clearly incorrect majority. Now, now the, there was no doubt about what the right answer was there was no doubt that the that the participant that was that was being tested you might say could tell that but it was just remarkable how easily they conformed to the pressure from the other young men in the room about 75% of participants conformed at least once and only 25% of participants never conformed so you can see the, the significance of this idea of social pressure. It really does weigh on people and it really does influence them. So So that's why we have to build strength into our, into our lives so that we doubt our doubts so that we don't find ourselves in positions where we give in to the doubts or the challenges that come our way. It's absolutely vital that we do that. So So this study then looked at, and examined, well, well, why did they actually decide to conform? Why did the, the, the young man who could clearly see what the right answer was, why did they go along with the wrong answer so that they uh, demonstrated that they either couldn't see or, or wouldn't be willing to do it? And um, the, the experimenter worked on that and tried to, tried to understand why they did. And, and some of them just wanted to go along with the group. They just, they just didn't want to be different. They didn't like the idea of sticking out and being different. And, and, and can we be honest? Uh, sometimes we're going to have to stand up for that which is not widely accepted. Because sometimes people don't want to believe what the Bible says, and they don't want us to believe it, and they're going to pressure us to go along with them. And so we need to understand that there's going to be a certain amount of social pressure. When the society has decided something is one way and, and God says it's a different way, we're going to have to stand up to that. And, and we can do that with grace and humility and kindness and all of those things. But we will never do that unless we know what we know what we know and have a solid foundation of the pursuit of truth, and a commitment to that which is true. So that's an important part of it. The other part of it was this. The participants said they went along with the, with the incorrect response because they were, well, they just weren't confident that they had enough knowledge, and they thought that maybe the other seven gentlemen that, that identified the incorrect line, maybe they knew something they didn't know. Uh, they, they just doubted their, their, the information that they had. Well, uh, uh, that's, a, that's a worrisome thing because we have to know. We have to have a commitment to knowing what's true. And we can't get ourselves into a position where we don't know enough to have confidence in it. And we need to bolster that confidence. And, and we do that by, by what I've been talking about. We give our allegiance to Jesus rather than the people around us. You see, if if we're afraid of what they're going to say or think, or if we're afraid of being different, then our allegiance to Jesus will be challenged. And we need to make sure that, that we're prepared for that so that we know what we know, what we know, and that we have a real commitment to pursuing the truth and understanding it. And remember, Jesus opened the minds of his disciples in that room many years ago, and he will open our minds so that we can understand well enough and confidently enough to know what we believe and know who we believe to know why we believe it and to be able to stand firm. I believe that God is going to give us the help to do that. We just had to prepare ourselves and, and not back down. So I hope that helps you doubt your doubts. That's the idea. And, And I want to give you one other suggestion. And this is something I want to mention from time to time. Uh, you may get tired of hearing me mention it. that that's okay. I, I think it's that important. But when it comes to this idea of pursuing truth, one of the things that you can do that will help you is to join a Bible study with a group of people who really want to have a conversation around the Bible. What does the Bible mean and what are the implications of the Bible for our lives? And, and I, I have discovered since I first was introduced to this, this whole idea of a Bible study where you have a conversation with the scripture. You don't listen to somebody else's read from a study guide or or concentrate on a study guide, but you actually ask the questions and answer them from the Bible itself. But I, I have never found anything that helps me get more out of the Bible than to gather around a table with a group of people and talk about important things and look at the Bible and try to understand what that means. Uh, I have mentioned from time to time, and I'll mention it again, our Wednesday morning men at our church, at Diplomat Wesleyan Church in Cape Coral. And we've been going through the book of Romans, uh, what many people would say is an arguably difficult book, but we decided to approach it as though God had written it for us to understand. We don't pretend we'll get everything out of it, but we weren't going to be intimidated by the Bible because we don't think God wants to intimidate us. He wants us to understand. And so we're trying to understand, and it's it's just remarkable. When I'm in that group, when we're studying the Bible like that, things come to my mind that would never come to my mind if I'm sitting and looking at it by myself. I get ideas that it's as though God speaks to us in the context of that conversation in ways that that we we really can't even duplicate. It's hard to take that stuff with us when we leave because while it's in our hearts, we just it it, it just there's something. Um, amazing about how God helps us when we gather around and study the Bible together. Similarly, we have a a book discussion group uh, on Wednesday nights, and I've noticed we, we study important books and we challenge ourselves with important ideas, and it's amazing to me the ideas that come out of that. So I really want to encourage you, find a group of people that you can study the Bible with if you can't find them, maybe you can recruit them, and you can all work together and, and read the Bible and, and learn how to understand it better, learn how to, to see what God is saying from the text of the Bible, and how you can build each other up by pursuing the truth and by strengthening our lives. There, there are so many people that, that double down on weakness, and we want to stretch towards strength. We don't want to shrink away from the challenges of our times. We want to stretch toward them because that's where God is leading us. And he wants to use us because that's the mission we talked about earlier from Luke chapter 24. The mission is to help people understand the truth and to come to know the truth and to come to follow Jesus. And that's what we want to be about. And so we want our lives to be strengthened that way. So find a good church. Find a church that believes the Bible, that holds the Bible in, in high regard, that understands the truth of the Scriptures and won't waver on that. Find a group of people in that church that will help you study the Bible. It is really so helpful and so important because that will help us develop the faith that we need to stand so that we can remain faithful. God has called us to be faithful, and we want to be those kind of faithful people, the ones that give allegiance to Jesus and will not back down, who know who we are and whose we are and where we stand and where we're going. So thanks again for joining us on this edition of Faith Is. I'm Pastor Rick Stevens. I'm really glad you could could be a part of this. Again, thanks to my church, Diplomat Wesleyan Church in Cape Coral, Florida, for making this possible And thanks for you for joining us, because you make this possible too. And we want to do this to benefit you, and we hope you find that benefit for that. And we hope you will go and live your life and allow the Lord himself to change you, to build strength into you, and to make you more and more allegiant to Jesus. In the meantime, faith is absolute confidence in the trustworthiness of God.